Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Good morning, NCU. Somebody make some noise for Jesus. Somebody make a big shout for Jesus. You know what? That was pretty good, but not quite good enough. I know the people of the great state of Minnesota. Listen, when that team, what is it called? The Vikings are in the Super Bowl. Dream on. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Don't dream on, don't dream on. I'm not here to offend anybody. Imagine, imagine with me that the Minnesota Vikings are in the Super Bowl playing the Green Bay Packers, all right? And the scores are tied. Imagine with me, it's the last few seconds of the game. Imagine with me that in the last few seconds of the game, one of your guys gets an ugly pigskin ball, deflated or inflated. It doesn't matter, but that's a different story. I'm not going to go there. And in the last few seconds, he takes that ball, tosses it to the other, follows the other guy, grabs it, runs across the line, scores the winning TD, and everybody in Minnesota is going, good job. Is that what you would do? Listen, I've got five better reasons to shout. Jesus saved me, washed me, filled me with the Holy Ghost, wrote my name in the Lamb Book of Life, and he's coming back for me. That's five good reasons to clap your hands. Holy people, shout unto the God with a voice of triumph. That's right. That. That is so much better. That is so much better. Yeah, let's blow this roof off, and we'll have Jonathan Thomas fix it. Yeah, <laughs> what a joy to see you. It's good to see my friend Steve Poulos and uh, Chad and everybody and uh, Jeff and others. Wow. Uh, I want to say thank you to President Reagan. Uh, Reagan, I'm saying. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> President Hagen, administration and faculty for allowing me to come and share my story. Beyond question, this is one of the finest institutions in not only the Assemblies of God, but across this nation. I'm not kidding you. 100% doctoral faculty, fabulous staff, and are talking about the students, you're the best of the best. Amen? Yes. Wow, what a joy. I want to make one correction, though, President uh, Hagen. I was not a janitor. I was a sanitary engineer. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I made 335 an hour, and that was my title. Wow. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to give a big shout-out to some of my friends here. Carissa and Crystal Garza, are you here? Where are you? There you are. And my friend Jared Danielson. Where, are, are you here, Jared? Yes? No? Where is he? He's gone to Bedside Assembly of God. Pastor Pillow, Sister Sheets, and Holy Comforter. Yeah. Wow. But what a joy to be with you. But first things first. My name is Solomon Wang, pronounced as Wong. It's W-A-N-G, pronounced as W-O-N-G. And if you say Wang, that really would be Wong. All right? It really, really would. I know it's cheesy, but it's true. It's absolutely true. And uh, I want to introduce you to show you a picture of my family. There's my family. The young man in the corner is my son-in-law. He's not my adopted son. He's married to my oldest daughter, Julia. And uh, this young lady has a destination wedding, Jessica, on 2-22-22. And this young man in the corner here, Jonathan Michael, he is 25. He's single. He's saved. And he's available. All right. <laughs> young ladies... Especially you seniors, if your father has $10 billion in the bank, a few Rolls Royces, a few Mercedes, come see me. <laughs> My Jonathan would kill me. But wow, 
What a joy to be here. I tell you, when I came to this country in the 80s, I was a big, big fan of President Reagan. But all these years, I'm a biggest fan and admirer of President Hagen. It rhymes, see? Reagan and Hagen rhymes. Let's have a big hand for our staff and, and President Hagen, please. Wow. And so we've had the joy and privilege of doing overseas work for almost 30 out of the 36 years of our married life in Calcutta, in Ukraine, and then in Bhutan. And uh, as our visas for Bhutan were not renewed, we had to say goodbye to Bhutan. And uh, next slide, please. Yes, that is. We had to say goodbye to Bhutan. And we were invited to join Convoy of Hope as the vice president of Convoy of Hope Feed One. And I'm grateful for having the privilege of being in, visiting 136 nations of the world, speaking in most of them, and had the joy of preaching, reading the Bible, and praying in all seven continents, including Antarctica. And yeah, and President Hagen, you have to call me back for that story. But today I'm living the American dream, but it did not start that way, and I'll come back to that in just a few minutes from now. Yeah, I have to get my notes, see? We were taught by Ken Olson to have our manuscript ready. All right. So, out there in this planet, there are four global giants, students. There is the diseases, there's poverty, there's illiteracy, there's spiritual emptiness. And it seems while everybody is running out, Convoy of Hope is running in. Just a quick background on what work I do. In Convoy, we are making life better. And we're making God's kingdom bigger. Where? Locally. Where? Nationally. Where? Globally. Do you know something? The average American spends and hears the gospel of Jesus preached to him almost 1,400 times in his lifetime. Did you know that 40% of the world's population has never had an adequate presentation of the gospel and people like Chad and others are making a huge difference in the lives of people? Did you know that half a billion people went to bed hungry last night? Did you know that 21,000 people die daily due to starvation and lack of clean water? It's like Convoy of Hope is the best kept secret out there. It all it's all you know, determined by your definition of best-kept secret. Take a look at this.
Give the Lord a mighty praise, somebody, yes. So with the limited time I have, I would want to talk to you about merely two words. That's all. The first word is success. Success. There's nothing wrong with success. All of us want to succeed. All of us want to be successful in life. We love to succeed. The American dream is to see people succeed, huh? Success is fun. But with the passage of time, what happens is the yardstick of success also changes. As generations pass, even the very definition of success constantly goes through its own changes. So when we were in Bethany, uh, President uh, Hagen, one of the required books, I don't know if you remember, in pastoral theology class was the book written by Charles Blair, The Man Who Could Do No Wrong. Amazing guy. I first met him in Calcutta, and later on I even had him speak in my church when I was pastoring in Hastings, Nebraska. And in the earlier days, Charles Blair went on a five-year journey, which ended up ten years. His desire was to study what constitutes success. What makes a person successful? So for 10 years, he followed successful people around the world to look for common threads, to look for common ingredients that makes a person successful and makes a person great. So what did he do? He followed politicians, movie stars, sports personalities, athletes, Olympic champions, religious people. He even came to Calcutta's. President Hagen, and uh, spent time with Mother Teresa and Mark Bentain, my spiritual mentor and, and uh, adopted father. After almost 10 years of study, he encapsulated all his findings into one sentence, which I leave for you today. And if you have your notes, take this down. And if you want to be successful, it's one sentence, 10 years study, and it says this, the greatness of a man or woman is determined by the cause he or she lives for and the price he or she is willing to pay in order to achieve it. I'd like you to read that with me, NCU. One, two, three. The greatness of a man or a woman is determined by the that he or she lives for and the he or she is willing to pay in order to achieve it. So I said, what, do you, what does that mean? He gave me this chart and he said, look at this, for example. Personalities like politicians, they live for their pay fame. They live for a cause that is power. And what are the price? Some of their pay jail time, scandals. Movie stars, fame and power. And what do they have? Drugs, substance abuse, death, and so on and so forth. Even religious people there. Had they have positive motives, negative moments, and the price that they pay determines on the person. The question is, NCU, what is your cause? What do you live for? I'm going to work for 20, 30, 40 years, save enough money, get married, start a family, then retire, sit in the corner and sing Kumbaya for the rest of my life. Is that what you live for? Or are you and I living to change lives of people, change your generation for God? Let me tell you something. President Hagen here, you know, uh, this is not a patronizing statement. This man could be in any church, in any institution in America. You are blessed to have him here. So fasten up those seatbelts because you're going to soar in great heights. He is a world changer because of the cause he lives for. His cause is to impact the next generation for Jesus. What is the price you're willing to pay? Blood, 
toil, tears and sweat, hard work and determination. Mother Teresa's cause was to change the lives of the poorest of poor. She paid the price. She's buried in Calcutta. You see, happiness does not come to us when we seek for happiness. It comes to us when we put the right principles into practice. And it's the byproduct of doing right with Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, life is not about getting. It's about giving and giving back. I would like to know, what, you and I, what are you and I giving back? What are we giving back? You see, you can only give what you have. I'm a history student. I love history. And in world, especially the, the first and the second world war. And after the second world war, the city of Berlin was divided into two. You know that. The East Berlin controlled by the communists and the West Berlin controlled by the free world. It was separated by the Berlin Wall and both sides hated each other. The both sides were heavily fortified and both sides were armed to the teeth. And one day a group of Eastern Berliners dumped a whole truckload of trash and garbage on the western side. And the people from the western Berlin said, ah, we're going to take revenge. And so they started collecting garbage, they started putting it into a truck, they said we'll, we'll put more trash, more rubbish, more garbage and dump it back to the eastern side. And then the commanding officer said, stop, stop, stop. That's not the way we handle things in our part of the world. Instead, they filled a truck with canned goods, lots of non-perishable items, made a huge pile of goods and goodies, and they stacked it over the eastern side. And then on the top of the pile, they put up the sign, compliments of the United States of America. You only give what you have. You only give what you have. Let the world out there give their rubbish. Let the world out there give their trash. Let the world out there spew their venom and hate. But you and I, let's give of our very best, our resources, our time, our talent, our lives to the saving cause of Jesus. Amen? Here, yes, if you want to clap, you go right ahead. You're not applauding me. I'll join you in praise to my God. Amen. And here are some scripture verses on success. I won't read to you the whole thing, but Proverbs 3, 1 to 4. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hand. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of both God and man. 1 Kings 2, 3. It says about the law of Moses. Do this. That's so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Which takes me to my second word today. The word significance. Say that word with me. One more time. One last time. Mark and Halder Buntin were veteran missionaries. He preached the message of Jesus as only he could preach. Mesmerizing people with the message of redemption. While his wife Halder, who I just buried, uh, had the funeral in Tacoma, Washington two months ago, she sang and played the piano accordion. They could have lived in North America, Scott, and they could have even had an even more successful life. But they did not live for success. They lived for significance. They wanted to make a significant difference and impact lives for time and for eternity. They came to Calcutta, India and changed the history and destiny of countless people, mine included. You've seen that, President Hagen. He came and preached for me when I was assistant superintendent of our district in Calcutta. What a fabulous job he did. He's seen for himself the ministry there. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10, look at the scriptures. It says this, For we are God's handiwork, created 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance to do. And in Ephesians 4.32, I'm sure you know this. Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving one another, even as Jesus Christ, for God's Son, forgave you. So I want to tell you very briefly about my story and how Mark and Hulda Bantain made a significant difference in my life. My father fled communist China during the, uh, just before the communist uprising and he joined the British Merchant Navy out of Hong Kong. And World War II broke out and the Japanese torpedoed my dad's ship in the Indian Ocean. He landed in India as a refugee and he established Chinese restaurants there. My mother was the first convert from the, my, actually my grandfather was the first convert from the nation of Bhutan, a small, restricted, sensitive, close country in between India and China. And Dwayne Danielson, Jared's father, was my area director. My grandfather was poisoned because of his faith in Christ and the whole family landed in India also as refugees. My mother ended up in Calcutta and they, she met my dad. They fell in love, got married. But in 1962, China invaded India and the Indian secret police came in the middle of the night and took my dad away to a concentration camp in the middle of the Rajasthan desert. I couldn't understand why Steve, why my dad would leave me in the middle of the night without saying goodbye. And what I didn't understand, Jonathan, was why we became so poor, the poor called us poor. The authorities had seized everything and my mother was just left with the clothes on her back and she could barely, barely eke out a living. And in 1965, she died of a heart attack. I was about five and a half years old. So with my father gone, my mother dead. I had no other choice but to move into a slum with my half-brother's family. If you've seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, I was a slumdog without being a millionaire. I lived in the slums of Calcutta with no running water, an outhouse, and under horrible, horrible conditions. Thankfully, my mother had enrolled me in the Bantain School and uh, Mercy School there before she died. And what happened was, there I studied and received the only major meal I got all day. It was amazing. And I hated weekends because it meant no food. Imagine, imagine going to bed hungry every night. Imagine going to the community tube well to get water in the middle of the night to get a drink of water to satiate your hunger. Consequently, visiting the, 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 the creepy dark outhouse was a huge challenge because of the vicious stray dogs barking outside. And God knows what was in that outhouse. Scorpions, snakes, centipedes, millipedes, whatever. And furthermore, my problem was compounded by my half-brother who took me to a horror movie called Dracula. After that, visiting that outhouse at 3 in the morning was the most terrifying and painful moment of my life. My imagination would conjure up Dracula lurking in the shadows, ready to pounce on me, suck my blood out. And so without proper sleep and without a proper meal since the previous day's school, my, my morning classes were horrible, so painful, so difficult. It was hard to concentrate on my studies. It was hard to comprehend the lesson. It was hard to get my stomach to stop growling because I had no food since the previous day. So due to the lack of growth, lack of food, my growth was stunted. And so no sports for me, sir. So I, but I took part in every drama, every debate, Every elocution where I could use this big mouth of mine. 
So to make up for the lack of food and clothes, I made up with what I did have, brains. So I studied hard, very hard. And when electricity at home was lost due to the constant blackouts, I would take my books to the bus stand and I would sit under the sidewalk and study under the street lamp. On a few occasions, I fell asleep right there on the streets. And because of my good grades, my friends would invite me to their homes to help them study. I always accepted their invitation. You know why? Because eventually their moms would say, Hey, Solomon, would you like to stay for dinner? In my mind, I'd said, I thought you would never ask. And as I grew up in my teen years, I had a voracious appetite. One day at school, just like Oliver Twist, I walked back to the end of the feeding line and I told that lady, please ma'am, may I have some more? Please ma'am, may I have some more? And she looked at me in a very scornful way and in a very contemptible tone. She said, what do you think? Is this your father's food or what? Get out of here. I said, yes, it is. It is my father's food. My father owns the cattle of a thousand hills and everything beneath it, including you. I walked straight up to Hulda Bantain's office and reported that to her. She called that lady, had a nice chat with that server and said, if my son Solomon Wong wants food 10 times, you will give it to him. Is that understood? After that, I became the most popular kid in school. Everybody wanted to eat school lunch with me. They knew they could get extra helpings. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Feeding, Children's Feeding Initiative and Feed One makes the lives of people around the world. And you and I can become an integral part of it. At, at least we had a place to go to school. At least we had love and education. Others were not blessed. I'll never forget, Scott, one day I was... I was going to church, and I saw the small crowd gathered around the carpentry shop in Calcutta. And there was a young man, emaciated in rags, no shoes. His entire worldly possession was in a small cloth bundle. He was hungry, obviously very hungry. And he begged for wooden shavings. He took a small pile, and he took a match from his cloth bundle, lit it. On the flames, he placed a dead, fat mole rat from the sewers and began to roast it. The stench was unbearable. Even the, the crowd shooed him away. So I watched him. He went to the other street corner. He made another fire. This time I was the only one there. He again roasted that dead rat and he began to eat it with the blood oozing from the both sides of his mouth. I, I, I just threw up right there on the sidewalk. It was such a horrible and disgusting sight. No one, simply no one should be so desperate as to eat a dead, filthy, stinking rat. And today... I serve as vice president of Feed One. I want to make a difference in the lives of people. I want to live a life of significance. The Buntains made a significant difference in my life as a refugee son in the streets of Calcutta. And do you know who supports that same feeding program where I received food as a child? You guessed right. Convoy of hope. Is God good or what? A full 360 degree turn. So we do what we do because this is our way of paying back and paying forward. Why? We have a driving passion to feed the world. Yes, we have a driving passion. Next slide, please. Yes, there's, there it is. And we have a driving passion to feed children around the world. There it is. Look at all those beautiful children. Why? Because we want to help and reach to the ends of the world, to the least, the lost, the lonely, to the needy, to everybody. I say this, no child should go to bed hungry. Not here, not there, not anywhere. We want to make a difference in the lives of people locally, nationally, and globally. So question NCU, are you living a life of success or a life of significance? Let me 
challenge you. A life of success is good, but living a life of significance is better. President, talk about Mother Teresa. Here's a picture of Mother Teresa. Hal Donaldson, the founder of Convoy of Hope, wrote several books of the Bantains, My Spiritual Parents. And when he came to Calcutta, I arranged for him to meet Mother Teresa. And he interviewed her. And at the end of the interview, she asked him very politely, Sir, what do you do for a living? What do you do for, a, for the poor? And he, in a very awkward manner, he was a little embarrassed, he said, really nothing. And she didn't put him on a guilt trip. Instead, Mother Teresa said, and not everyone can do everything. She said, but everyone, including you, can do something. If you cannot feed 100, then just feed one. And thus was born Feed One. Isn't that interesting, Steve? Is God good or what? Somebody give the Lord a mighty praise. And I have the privilege, coming full circle, and heading Feed One. So the question is, what will it cost you? A latte, McDonald's meal, electronic game you're saving for? Here are what some of the college students in Mizzou are doing, the Chi Alpha group. Can you believe that? For just one, for just $10 a month, you can change the life of a child forever. And uh, this is not a handout. It's a hand up. It's not just paying back. It's paying forward. We're moving children from dependency to sustainability. Today, Convoy of Hope feeds 387,000 children in 17 countries of the world. And in closing, I want you to Put on your seatbelts. I want you to watch this video. I want you to fly with me to the Philippines and see this true story of Kate. Go ahead.
I've seen that video many times. Never fails to move me. And in January, Scott Webb going to Calcutta to do a filming just like this. I'm going to have the cremation, the cremated ashes of Alda Bantain put in that same place where Mark Bantain was buried in Calcutta, the ones that you and I live for. You see, students, your life of significance and compassion, like Dr. Hagen, does not have to start after graduation. It can begin right now. Right now. So would you look at this link? And I'm praying that God would speak to your hearts, that you can change another Kate. You could change another Solomon Wong for the glory of God. And if you just go to that link, https forward slash feed1.com forward slash ncuxa. If you're going to take pictures, go right ahead. And we'll just wait a, a few seconds. And uh, you can click on that link. And what it'll do is it'll bring you to our website and you can help the life of a child. Go to the next slide. It'll come something like this. You can do monthly for $10. Some of you want to do 20. Some of you want to do 30. It'll feed three children and so on and so forth. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying we'll go to the deepest pits around the world. That's what William Carey, the great missionary, said. I will go to the deepest pit as long as I know that somebody back at home is holding the ropes. At Convoy of Hope, we will go to the deepest pits around the world as long as we know that somebody in Minneapolis, Minnesota is holding the ropes. Will you hold the ropes? With your prayers and with your finances, God bless you. But the John, President Reagan, please. And if you don't have your phone, we have some sheets at the back. You can pick up one and be ha happy to give you one. Thank you so much.